Have you ever seen a train wreck? If you were here since last Sunday, you did. Okay. <laughs> At least that's how it felt uh, when we started Hebrews 13:7, and the, you know, the the goal last week was to approach 7 through 18 as a whole because it is written as a whole. If you notice the shape of Hebrews 13, 7 through 18, it sort of is sandwiched by these phrases, remember your leaders and obey your leaders. And it's very much given to us as sort of a whole sandwich to take a bite of and eat. And because there, there are two reasons why it didn't work out last week. Number one, um, I bit off way more than I could chew. Uh, I, there, there's two parts to preaching, and I'm telling you this because it's always good to know more. And so I want to, I want to help you understand the process of of preparing a sermon. There's two parts. One can be classified as science, and the other can be classified as art. Um, and both take a lot of work and a lot of practice. And not being able to take a large chunk, I'm finding that I need a lot of practice in both of those things, in the science and the art. Um, and, and, and when you do that and you tackle something that you're not that great at, and then you don't have a lot of preparation into it, it sort of makes it even more of a train wreck. And and that that is that is sort of where we were last week, um, especially with... The, the the art part of delivering the sermon. Everything that was spoken last week was true, but it's probably just really confusing. And so as we get to the end of this section, which we, we sort of made our way, stumbled our way to verse 17, obey your leaders, I want to take a few minutes to hopefully redeem the, the fumble last week it's to sort of lead us into this last portion where we discuss in verse 17, obey your leaders. Now, here's how I want to do that. I want to sort of frame the intended goal of this section of Hebrews, 7, or Hebrews 13, 7 through 18. And as I said, there, it's, it's got a shape. And it's shaped around the idea of your leaders. Now... This passage is written about leaders, but not for the sake of leaders to be taught, but for you to be taught about your interaction and engagement with your leaders. Now, trust me, the leaders can learn a lot from what's being said here, and they ought to learn about a lot about what's being said here. But the, the direct message is to the, the members of the community. And how they are to see and engage and interact with those who are leading them. And as we talk through this, I'm going to use these words interchangeably. Ready? Leader, pastor, preacher, elder. That's basically the words that you're going to see as I interchange them back and forth. All under the head of leader as seen in Hebrews 13. Um, and forgive my uh, tissue. So here, here's that, – that's what I want you to understand this section for. You learning something about engaging with your spiritual 
leaders, which in our context is the pastor, myself. Okay? Um, Now, to help us understand this, we have to sort of um, dig a little bit. Because there's been work done through the church for 2,000 years, okay? But over the last, I don't know, 50 to 60, people have been throwing dirt back into the hole. You understand what I mean? And so I, I want to kind of take some of that dirt out bef- to, and really to help us understand why this is so important, okay? Um, if we evaluate the culture of church today, and I mean in a wide perspective, uh, and we look at what it means to be a member of the church, or even an attendee, a regular attendee, uh, it's become a passive activity. And what do I mean by that? I mean like when you go to the movie theater, you everything you do is passive. They're there to serve you. They make the popcorn. They fill the drink. They run the film. They clean the auditorium. Like it's meant to, to for you to come in and to be a passive participant. You don't have the, the your biggest activity is walking in, right, and shelling out fifty bucks. But that's for another day. Um, you can also think of it as a restaurant. A restaurant has guidelines how they are supposed to serve. They have um, they they set everything up in a way to best serve you, hopefully, so that you can have an experience that is good for you, and then you'll what? Come back. Um, so this is kind of the mindset for church these days. You can also think of it as church being sort of this self-help organization where we know that something's wrong with us, we want to be better, and we want to live a good life. And so we know if we go to church, we're going to get the right direction and instruction from the leader in order to do that. But there's really nothing you've got to do other than just kind of soak it in and then go apply it to life. Um, And so all the emphasis in those scenarios is on the leader. Uh, John Piper wrote a book, Two Pastors, a while back, and it was it was called titled something of uh, Pastor, you're not a professional or something to that nature, and that's how we assume pastors these days as the professional Christians, the ones who do the Christian work, and then the Christians are just sort of participating and going with the flow and following the uh, idea or the instruction of the professional. Um, But that's not what you're called to do. That's not what you're called to be. And that's why a passage like Hebrews 13, 7 through 18 exists, is because you're not to be a passive church attendee or member but you are called to be an active part of a body. And being an active part of a body, you have a responsibility and a duty. That's what you're called to. Now, we could go off in a tangent on this, but we went to 
central Arkansas yesterday. And the drive down and the drive back, I just was discouraged. Um, not not only because I went the wrong way, but uh, but because you 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 drive through Arkansas and you see church after church. There are three or four of them lined up together on the same street in the same town, and it's like they some of them had to have had the same con, uh, general contractors because the buildings looked identical. And then. But then they're all trying to outman and number one another because they've each got their flashing sign and their marketing and and it's like what what are they doing why why are we spending on what what are we trying to do with church why why do we feel like we've got to get our share of the market and we've got to be better at this or better at that and so what the church has become is this service to where we try to be the best we can so people will just come in. And just be here. Because the more that we have here, the more successful we are. The more people in the seats, the bigger the building, the more the budget, the more we can say we're doing for the kingdom. I don't think so. I don't I don't think that's what we're called. Actually, I know that's not what we're called to be, to be a social club that's just hoping that we get bigger. Because in reality, as the Great Commission goes forth... What happens? The church grows. And so growth in itself isn't a bad thing. But when it becomes a CEO leading a club or a business and we run it this way, this way, and this way in order to make people feel good, feel better, even unbelievers feel at home because we want the church to grow. We run into a lot of problems and the people lose their Calling, responsibility, and duties as members of the body of Christ. This passage is putting a lot of pressure on you all and on the leader. If someone asked you, what is the church? Some unbeliever, believer, whatever, I don't know. Comes and asks you, what is the church? What would you say? I mean... Just think about that for just a moment. Would you have an answer? Or would you just kind of fumble? So here's what I want you to think about. Hebrews is doesn't really seem like a book that outlines the church and its roles or what, but I think it's a very good book for that. Um, because the... I say that, and I'm going to quote First Peter before I start this. But the church, here, here's, what, here's what I want you to think about. The church is God's people. Now that, if you just chew on that for a minute, and then consider your church experience over your lifetime, probably those two things collide. The church is God's people. First Peter. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Okay? And, and, and he also says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That is quite a list. That is not a social club. That is not some business service organization. A chosen race, a royal priesthood. 
a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Hebrews in chapter 10 says that you have been set apart by God himself through Christ's blood. That's the church set apart by the will of God, by the blood of Christ. He says in 10, and that and by that will, the will of the father, we have been sanctified, set apart through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We've been a church set apart, cut out of the world and called together. So we not only have been set apart from the world, but we've been called together to assemble together. That's literally what the word church in Greek means, to assemble, the assembled. So what do we do as the church called or uh, sanctified by the will of the Father, the, the blood of the Son, called together to be the body? What do we do? Well, again, I think Hebrews is very helpful. In the let us verses of 10 and I think also in 12. Let, what is the church to do? Let us, I'm just going to quote Hebrews here. Let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of fact. Draw near to what? No, to who? To God. Right? Not come here to be entertained or to be felt made to feel better. But Christians, we gather to draw near to God with a full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, so there's another one, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Our world seems so hopeless right now. But we come together to remind us that we have a hope that is so glorious. So wonderful. We await our, the return of our king. We, we await the, the, the fulfillment of true eternal life. When we will see and know God as he is. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not bicker and backbite and take offense. But we come together to stir up one another in love. And good works. Not neglecting to meet together. As in the habit of some. So we must be meeting together. Encouraging one another. All the more as we see the day drawing near. That hope drawing near. And then the last one in 12. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, and for our God, or for our God is a consuming fire. That is the church. That's the church of God in Jesus Christ. And it is infinitely bigger than any club or organization, or infinitely bigger than any one of us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That church has been designed by God to operate in a certain form. Ephesians 4, we, we read last week, was that Christ has given that body, the church, leaders in order to move the church in that direction and to fulfill that which the church has been called to do and be. 
And that's why, you're like, what are you talking about? Why is all this, what does any of this have to do with Hebrews 13? If that's what it has to do with Hebrews 13, a church is led. It isn't, a church that doesn't have elders or pastors is like a orphan child. Christ has given us the church, the Christian community, leaders, and it began with the apostles, right? And then it has gone on down to pastors and teachers today. Now, the church, okay, again, we've said a sanctified, called out by God in Jesus Christ. It's designed by God to be a people while in this life, to be led by men. Okay, the church is, while in this life, to be led by men. Well, that's such a disheartening thing, isn't it? (laughs) It's like, I'm sorry, this is what you get for now. But one day, you'll see the good shepherd, right? But for now, the church is to be led by elders, pastors, under shepherds. People who are leading God's people towards Christ. And how are they leading towards Christ? And this is what we tried to cover last week in, in 7, 8, and 9. They're leading Christ, leading people, the church, in a direction to Christ through preaching and their way of life, right? Let's look at 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. There's the first one. So remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Number two, consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. Those are the two qualifications for an elder, a pastor. They and they're, they're, that, that's so. It's like the law of God can be summed up in the two great commandments. Well, the two great qualifications are the sum, summary of the qualifications found in First Timothy and Titus one. Okay, preach the right gospel and live the right way. That's that's basically what he's saying there. Um, you have to know that. That was the point of last week. You have to understand the qualifications of the men that you're supposed to remember, consider the outcome of their way of life, and then imitate their faith. If you are not knowledgeable of that, if you don't know what they ought to be preaching, if you don't know what it looks like to live a life of holiness, you can't keep verse 7. And so a lot of what we, we have to understand is you have to be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to fulfill number 7. Well, in any command, really, right? And so, two two reasons, and we're we're finishing up sort of this recap. I I probably lost some of you last week when I started talking about church membership membership, because you're like, I don't see it here. Where are you talking about? Well, there are two reasons why I was pointing to church membership out of this passage. Um.
The first one is a collective reason, a corporate reason, all right? One that involves all of you summed up into one. And the other reason is for everyone individually, okay? The collective reason is that the members of this church, Ozarks Bible Church, collectively has the authority to name their leader. You understand? If you, you, as covenant members of Ozarks Bible Church, only you decide who stands in this pulpit. That's a big deal. That's a lot of authority in your hands. And it only belongs, as far as Ozarks Bible Church is concerned, to the, to the covenant members of the church. If you are outside the membership of this church, you have no authority in who stands here and who leads you. Okay? Um, the reason I stand here is because two years ago, Jan- at the end of January, in January 2021, the covenant members of Ozarks Bible Church voted for me to be the pastor, the leader. That was op, you were operating in authority handed down to you from the scriptures, given to you by God Himself. And so here's why this is important in this passage. You select who sits and stands in this pulpit and leads you, you have to obey verse 7 to consider their way of life, hear their preaching, and then imitate their faith. Do you see the importance there? You have to obey verse 7. It's up to you who you are doing it to. And the same in verse 17. Look at verse 17. This one's more intimidating. Obey your leaders and submit to them. You as Ozarks Bible Church, members of Ozarks Bible Church, have the authority to say who you will obey and submit. Here's the thing. You don't have the authority to say you will not obey and submit. Do you see the problem there? You've got to obey and submit a leader. That's not in question. That's commanded. The authority, the the, the wiggle room here is you get to choose who it is as members of this church. And that's why we referenced 2 Timothy chapter 4 last week. Is because what what is the possibility to get somebody to tickle your ears, to say what you want them to say, and so and that and that's a whole nother way. But if you don't want to obey and submit, you could vote and in your authority bring someone who's not going to really give you anything to obey. They're just gonna. Tickle your ears. And so that it is super important to understand as we practice church membership, that dictates whom you are applying verses 7 and 17 to. I, I hope that's a little bit more clear than last week. Now, the, the, the second reason is the individual reason, and it just falls out of that. Okay, It just falls out of that. When you commit to a local church in covenant membership... <laughs> You're acknowledging that the leader, the pastor, elder of that group, 
is your spiritual leader. And that is who you are going to be obedient to in verses 7 and 17. You can be here. If you walk in and you you commit to membership in this church, you say, I am going. I say this in all fear and trembling. When you commit and covenant with Ozarks Bible Church, you say that you are going to imitate my faith. Not someone else's down the road, not someone on YouTube, but mine. You also say when you commit to membership in this church that you're going to obey me and submit me. You are commanded to obey and submit your leader. The question is, whom will you put yourself under? So you going from any church that you would like, you are acknowledging biblically when you... When you come here and you say, I want to be a member here, you are telling the congregation and the Lord that you are submitting yourself to the authority of the pastor here. You have to do verse 17 and 7. It's up to you where and who. Okay? Those are the two reasons why I wanted to speak about church membership last week. As we were traveling yesterday and I seen all these churches, I told Sylvia, I said, I wish we just lived in the 1700s because they made it so much easier. Did you know that the majority of the colonies had established churches like so Virginia was Virginia acknowledged the Church of England as their church. And so that there wasn't when you when you roll through Richmond, Virginia. In the 1700s, you weren't like, hmm, should I go to Baptist today or the Church of Christ? No, it was the Church of England, and there was one church in each town. And so you were either a member or not. You were an active member and participant of the Church of England in Richmond, Virginia, or you weren't. Now, you know what my point is. My point is, is you didn't get to church shop. You didn't have options but see, now you do, sadly, maybe. It's a double-edged sword. All right. This is, this is where we are. It's not, it's not who has the best building. It's not who has the best child care. It's not I like these songs that they sing. It's not they pray too much or I like the preacher because he's easy to listen to. In the context of this passage, you choosing a church is you saying, I am submitting to the authority of its leader. Now, let's look at 17 a little closer. That's basically... Leading us into where we and we won't we don't have a lot here. So look at 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, 
for that would be of no advantage to you. So again, I'm, I'm beating the dead horse. You have to submit yourself to biblical leadership. It's not a question of whether, but a question of which or who. And if you're not, you're not being obedient to verse 17. Now, if you take in the context of this situation going on to this audience, if you look back at verse 9, after he tells them to remember their leaders, those who spoke the word of God, you consider that the way of their faith or the way of their life and imitate their faith. He says in verse 9, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. So I, I do think the emphasis on 17 is in the your. Okay? Obey your leader. And the, the, the glorious thing about our age, and it is glorious, is that there is so much great biblical, solid, sound teaching on the internet. It's just, there's bukus of it. But here's the thing. You don't have to submit to any of them. You're not supposed to. You submit to your leader. Obey your leader, not anyone who's out there or doing anything else. Those and, and they were false teachers. And hey, as good as teaching as you want to find on YouTube, there's more wacko stuff when it comes to false teaching on YouTube. Um, so yeah, I hey, I spent year, I've spent countless hours. Listening to sermons and audiobooks and talks and and lectures, but it is not it is not by God's design good for you or the church for that to be your leader. You have to submit to your physical leader in a local congregation. Again, this is why formal membership is a wise practice for a church. Because it establishes the leaders and the members. And it's why church hopping and dropping in and out just doesn't make sense and doesn't work. In formal membership, there's two lists. The leaders and the, those who are following. Those who are submitting. And guess what? I think both have to give an account. The leaders and the members. And I think formal membership is a, as, as, as attempted as biblically as possible, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, will help us do that. Now, how are you to submit? What are you to obey? Because I, I could sit here and say, this carpet's got to go. I want red carpet. And you should say, go fly a kite. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, look back at verse 7. Again, this is all sandwiched together. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, what? The word of God. The leader's authority is binding only when it is founded on the word of God. And I would even say 
This isn't in my notes, so I might have to think about this a little bit more. If their way of life and the outcome of their life and their faith is not reflecting that which they are preaching, then you probably shouldn't listen to them either. If they're living hypocritical in what they're teaching, that's not good. The leader's authority is binding only when it is founded on the word of God. When the pastor elder of a church is giving instruction, direction, preaching, or teaching, here's what he ought to be doing. And yes, it is a he. That's another sermon for another day. He ought to be speaking as Christ. Now, I'm not saying that the leader is on par with Christ. I'm saying when he speaks, when he speaks... He is speaking authority, but he ought to be speaking in such a biblical way, it's as if Christ is speaking. Does that make sense? Think about it and just think about it from, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus spoke to his disciples, and they obeyed. They were to obey. And then when he left, what did he send them out with? His word, right? Not their word, his word. So when the apostles obeyed Jesus speaking, they're obeying Jesus. When the apostles took Jesus' words and took them to the people, and the people obeyed what the apostles said, who were they obeying? Jesus. And then, same for us. Same from up here. Same for when you're at home. All of it. We should... When we speak with the authority of Scripture, it should be as we should speak it as if it is coming from Christ. Because if it's not that way, we just need to shut up. There's no point. So we submit and obey, and that's what Paul says. Was that last week, or maybe it was the week before? As far as Paul, Paul saying. Follow me or imitate me. Yeah, it was last week. As I follow Christ, right? Paul was a Paul was a sinner. Paul was a fool. And so he didn't say follow me all the time in everything I do. He said follow me, imitate me in so far as I imitate Christ. Obey and submit to your leaders in so far as they are speaking with authority from the word of God, as if Christ was speaking. Now, this creates a potential for uh, a gotcha. This is not, that caveat is not to create a show me the verse response. Now, here's what I mean. There have been many unhelpful church members throughout the history of the church that has used the truth that we just spoke to control the authority of their leaders. Here, here's what I mean. A leader may want to make a decision or direct the church in a certain way, and that, and then maybe a church member does not like that decision or direction and throws out the, the line, well, show me that in the Bible. Okay? Give me the verse. Well, Sometimes, no, and a lot of times, leaders have to make decisions based on collective truth and wisdom implied in the scriptures. 
in some case, in some cases, there is freedom to do certain things a certain way, and the leader, the pastor, the elder must prayerfully and in wisdom make a decision without being able to say, verse 12 says, do it this way. Now you're like, surely not. Well, I'll give you three examples. Wednesday night service. We don't have one. But I could make from Scripture not one single verse that it might be a good thing for us to have a Wednesday night service. Because ultimately, I think it would be good for the sake of your soul. Now look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. I can't point into a chapter and a verse and say we should have a Wednesday night service. You can call me out on that. But I could probably lay out a really good argument that it's not not biblical. And it might actually be good for you. For us. Another example. Um, how often the church partakes of the Lord's Supper? We do it every month. Some churches do it a quarter, every quarter. Some churches do it once a year. Some churches do it every week. And if I was prayerfully thinking through it and I, I, wanted, to, I wanted us to partake every week, you could say, but where's the verse? Show me how that is okay. And I would then reply and say, well, show me where it's okay to do it monthly. And so there are freedoms and places where a leader would want to take you as a church. And there might not be a proof text for it. But if he is dwelling in the whole counsel of God and seeking prayer and wisdom and can show you through implied text and how it is wise to lead you in a direction, again, we get to the point where you have to submit. If you don't agree and you think it's unbiblical, I don't, I'm not saying this to be smart. You can leave. I mean that. I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to be joking. Because you have the authority, you have your own right to not be a member at Ozarks Bible Church. And so if if we moved to once a week. Uh, Lord's Supper and you didn't think that that was biblical and we had a conversation and you felt like I was leading you in an unbiblical way God's demand and command for you is to actually leave because you have to submit to your leader so I don't want to put upon a person on their conscience that they need to do something that see I'm not if they thought monthly was right I'm not saying that they're in sin and they're wrong. I'm just saying perhaps you should find a leader whom you can submit to in that. Does that make sense? And the last one is church membership, right? Um, There's no Bible verse that says how a church should practice biblical membership. However, the Bible is very clear on what it looks like to be a biblical member of a church. And there's no direct path to that. But what should we be doing as a church? Practicing biblical membership. 
Well, in before I even got to Ozarks Bible Church, the church itself had established this process of formal membership in order to practice it with a church covenant. And I think that is a biblical, wise way to practice church membership. So the leader of a church must prayerfully determine when it comes to membership the best way to lead its Christians into fulfilling the call and commands of being a member of the body, a local body of Christ. See, all three of those examples cannot give implied verses. And if you have a disagreement with something like that and you cannot submit yourself in obedience to those, then there's a possibility that you need to find a leader and a congregation whom you can submit to because you're called to submit. So, there is another option. <laughs> I'm really putting my cards out on the table here. That was the individual response. There's a collective response to thinking that your leader is not doing something biblical. Vote them out. You must do that. I want to repeat. You as a body, members of Ozarks Bible Church, if anyone... Me, or Paul, or an angel, does anything in leading you, unbiblically, run them out. You have to. You have to. You, as a body, have responsibility and authority for the glory of Christ in this place and the purity of of the body of Christ in this place. That's what this passage is pointing to. Okay, I want to zoom through something here. The direction that your biblical leader ought to be taking you, the authority that is being uh, used must be concerned with Eternal and internal. I used those words last week. Eternal and internal. Why? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. Not how well the grounds look. Not how big the building is. Not how big the budget is. Not what we do this place or that place. But keeping watch over your soul. That is the number one responsibility for a leader of a Christian community. Of a church. Now I want you to see this. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Turn with me. Verse 28. If you want to understand why I operate the way I operate, you just keep going back to first or to Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29. And that's it. Well, also Acts 20, but we'll see that in a second. This is what, this is, this is the end all biblical leaders ought to be looking for. Verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present 
everyone happy. No. Mature in Christ. I very much appreciate your words of encouragement when I receive them um, as your pastor. You know, you say to me, you're doing a great job. You're doing a good job. But do you want to know what I'm thinking when you say those words to me? I thank you, and that's great. But my, but what's in me is, how is your soul? Like I don't want to. I, I, I really appreciate the compliments. But over the last two and a half years, do you love Christ more? That's what I care about. Do you have a deeper hunger for Him and His Word? Do you understand more about your sin? And are you fighting it more than you were from the first day I came? And why are those the questions that are in my head? It's because those are the answers I'm going to have to give when I stand before the Good Shepherd. Luke, were your people growing in holiness and becoming more like Christ? Were you feeding my sheep? Were you struggling with toil with all the might I gave you to present everyone mature in Christ? That's what I have to answer to. That's what every biblical leader has to answer to. And that's the direction every biblical leader ought to be taking you. Look at Acts 20. This is the last thing. The pure motivation behind this all for a biblical leader is in Acts 20, verse 28. This is what should drive every minister of the gospel. Acts 20, 28. Hey, careful! This, uh, we read this last week. This was Paul to the uh, the elders at Ephesus, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, as he's leaving them, never to see them again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Flock, that's Christians, that's the church, right? In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God. Now if you stop there. That's pretty intimidating. But he didn't finish. Care for the church of God. Which he obtained. With his own blood. That should be the motivation. Of a leader. That should be the direction. That he should be taking you. Now, last thing. Back to 17, 13, Hebrews 13, 17. This is the one, the one passage every preacher looks forward to and is intimidated all at the same time. 
last sentence. Well, let's read it so you make sure you understand who's being spoke about. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them, your leaders, do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So the question is, what's better for you and your soul, a leader that leads with joy or a leader that leads with groaning? I think the answer is obvious, right? He uses the word, it will not be an advantage to you, in the same way that we think of, we talked about it maybe last Sunday, during Sunday school, what's wholesome for you, what's good for you. A leader who comes begrudgingly and groaning is not one that's good for your soul. But notice the point of groaning. Who has the ability to can, to affect the joy or the groaning? It's the church. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, there are four ways I'm going to leave with you of how you can fulfill that passage. Four ways. Number one. Be self-denying. Meaning when you participate as a member of this church, as a member of the body of Christ, you make a leader joyful when you approach all things in selflessness. When you put yourself below the interest of others. I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about the leader. I'm talking about everyone. Be self-denying. That's an individual thing you can do. Collectively, corporately, know the direction you should be going. I just told you what it was. Maturity in Christ. Know the direction God has called the church to go. Maturity in Christ and fulfilling the Great Commission. When a church is going left, when the leader is going right, there's a problem. So what we have to make sure is that the leader is biblical in its direction and the members and the church is biblical in their expectation of the direction. And it might not be going in opposite ways. It might be going into one another. How do you know that? You must be informed. You must have knowledge. You must read your Bible. You must listen in the sermons. You must pray. You must ask God to fill you with all wisdom and insight. That's part of my job, is to help you in that. And so we can move together in the same biblical direction. Now, the third thing, this is the greatest one of all. Ask questions. If you're still in the dark, ask me. 
If you're not sure about this or that, whether it's a teaching or a doctrine, ask me. If you're not sure about how you should act this sense or that way, ask me. Don't stay in the dark. Don't assume. Ask me questions and I will jump out of my way to answer them for you, whatever they might be. Um, And fourthly, trust God and believe what he said. Trust God and believe his word. Because if you put somebody up here, hopefully you have sifted through the qualifications. And by putting someone up here, again, what are we saying that you will then be doing? Obeying and submitting, imitating their faith. And so that takes not trusting the leader, but trusting God. Those are the four things. Now, he finishes, and we're going to finish. I'm just going to walk through this. We're going to finish this. He finishes with 18. (laughs) And this is what I have to say to you. He says, pray for us. And all that, pray for me. Please, pray for me. Spurgeon, I think I said this the other day. Someone asked Spurgeon, what's the success, what's the key to your success as a pastor and a preacher? Uh, And he said, my people pray for me. See, I measure pastoral success, I've already told you, in holiness, in Christ-likeness, in pursuit of the Great Commission. And none of that happening apart from the divine work of the Spirit of God within all of us. So what must you do? Pray. But here's the final thing. I, as your leader... Will fail you. I will. In my teaching. I did that last week. And in my lifestyle. In the outcome of my life. I will fail you. And if you look for the perfect leader. You're failing yourself. Now I'm not saying that to condone myself. I'm saying that to point you to the great shepherd. Okay. Don't look to this pulpit. Don't look to the leader for equipping, peace, satisfaction. You must know that whoever stands here, whoever leads you in a Christian community will fail you. And if your eyes are not looking to Christ, the great shepherd, you will be hopeless. You will be hopeless. And that's why we're going to end with the benediction. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Who can do that? Jesus Not me, Jesus. Not the preacher on YouTube, 
Jesus. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. It is Christ who suffered for you, not your leader. It is Christ who gave himself as a pleasing sacrifice unto the Father, not your leader. It is him whom you find your life, your joy, and your satisfaction, not your leader. He is the shepherd of the sheep. Your life is sealed by his blood. He gives you peace. He equips you. And he will save you completely. You must believe him. Trust him. Trust Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.